Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Micah in the Old Testament. That can be a little tricky to find, and so just start in Matthew, and I think it's, uh, if you go back seven books, you'll reach the book of Micah, and we are in chapter 6, Micah chapter 6. My focus today will be on verse 8, but I want, for context, to read this morning verses 1 through 8, and so follow along now as I read. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, even with Israel. He will dispute. My people, what have I done to you and how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And from Shittim to Gilgal, in order that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May your word go forth this morning, this day, and may it accomplish, Lord, whatever you desire. Take your word and bring conviction, bring comfort, And may we receive it as the very word of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my goals today, I have five of them. The first is to glorify God and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in my preaching, that this would be all for him and none for me, that I would carefully and accurately exegete the text of Micah 6, 1-8, and with this focus on verse 8 that I would edify and equip all believers who are watching and listening today, that I would evangelize anyone who is outside of Christ who is listening or watching today, and that God would comfort and help provide healing to those of you who are hurting this day. I grew up in Covington, Indiana. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I've joked for many years that I was born on a Saturday and in church on Sunday. I did look it up. July 4th, 1970 was a Saturday, but I'm pretty sure we were not, I was not in church on Sunday. But I am so grateful for that upbringing to be born and raised in a Christian home. Covington is a, a very small town in west central Indiana. It's on the Illinois border. It's near Danville, Illinois, if you've ever heard of that town. Covington is a town of about 2,700 people. And when I was growing up there, our town was all white. I would like to say 100%, but I'm not sure. But it's 99.9. 
um, very close to 100%. And it seemed that whenever a, an African-American family would move into our small town, perhaps from neighboring Danville, Illinois, which was ethnically diverse, they would not stay in our town very long. I'm not sure if they were run out of town. There were always rumors that the KKK was active in our town and in our area. Not sure if that was true or not, but I can tell you that there was much racism in our community. The hearing of black jokes and the use of the N-word were, was an everyday occurrence there. I listened to those jokes, I laughed at those jokes, and I retold those jokes. I would occasionally use the N-word. It was very rare that I was around black people. I would see them when we would go to Danville, Illinois, when we would go to the mall to shop or when we would go to restaurants there in that town. But I had no friends who were black. We had perhaps one or two people in our church of 300 or so in Danville, Illinois, who were African-American. So I never had a black classmate, a black teammate, or a black neighbor for 18 years. That was my environment. I was created by a holy God. I was made in his image. God chose to give me white skin. And so I will not apologize for being white, and neither should anyone of any complexion that God has given them. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made by God, as we read in Psalm 139. And to apologize for being how God made you would be an attack on the sovereignty of God. He made us and ordained that we would be what we are. He caused me to be born into a white family, and he caused you to be born in the family in which you were born. And so for me or anyone to apologize for how God made them would be to charge God with wrongdoing. It would be to attribute an accident or a mistake by God, and we know that our God makes no mistakes. In September of 1988, I enrolled in college at the University of Indianapolis, and for the first time in my life, I encountered black men and women on a daily basis. They were my classmates, my doormates, and the athletes who played on the sports teams that I would cheer for throughout the week. But there was still racism in my heart. That fall, I went to serve as a huddle leader or a counselor at an FCA junior high retreat in, in Marshall, Indiana. And there was a man at that retreat who was on staff with FCA in Indiana at the time, and he was doing the training for all of us who had signed up to serve as huddle leaders that weekend. His name was Ken Johnson. He was on staff with FCA, but also was the chaplain for the Indianapolis Colts. Ken was not only an African-American man, he was the largest black man that I had ever seen or been around up close. He was a former All-American football player at the University of Tulsa. He had a short stint in the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks. He had served as a police officer in the inner city of Dallas, and his arms to me were the size of Hulk Hogan's arms. If you don't know who Hulk Hogan is, I would just encourage you to Google what you're going to do when the Hulkster runs wild on you, and you'll find out more about him. And so I was sitting under him as he was doing the training for us huddle leaders, and I just kept looking at him, going back and forth between looking at him in the eyes and staring at his biceps. And in those moments, God did something very powerful in my heart and my life. He broke me. He worked in my heart, 
and convicted me of the racism and the hatred that had filled my heart. And I've never been the same. Praise God. That was 32 years ago this coming fall. And I FaceTimed with Ken last night. He's a pastor in Indianapolis today. And we just wept together. And it was awesome. I would love to tell you that I've never had a racist thought again, that I've never had a prejudiced attitude or a biased point of view, but that would be a lie. I have had to continue to fight against these things. I have a sinful heart, though it is redeemed. I have an unredeemed flesh that wars against the Spirit of God that dwells in my heart. I have had to repent of these attitudes. I have had to ask forgiveness from others, but God is good. And God is faithful and he is just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I think that I first saw the video of George Floyd's murder on Tuesday night, May 26th, after our FCA virtual huddle meeting. I have been saddened by injustices in the past like this. It was just a few days before this that I had seen the video of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And both of these murders hit me very, very hard, especially the killing of George Floyd. To watch the inhumane tactics of that Minneapolis police officer and to watch the life and breath go out of George Floyd, I was angry, I was sad, I was outraged, and I was confused. How could this happen? I was by myself in Maryland at the time as my family was in Indiana. And as I would lay down and go to sleep each night, I I would just lie wide awake. I couldn't sleep. And so I would pray. I was praying for my wife who was very sick at the time. I was praying for our nation. I was praying for the Floyd family. And I would pray for the Lord to work in my heart to reveal any lingering racism or hatred that was in my heart and to show me what I could do to help and how I could be an advocate for good and for justice in our land. I'm sure many of you have asked the same question these last few days. What can I do? Or what more can I do? What can I do to help? Another question that is perhaps asked is, what am I required to do? Am I required to go and protest peacefully? Am I required to post something on social media? Am I even required to have social media? Am I required to participate in things like a blackout on Tuesday for social media? Am I required to apologize to my black brothers and sisters for slavery? Am I required to pay reparations to the descendants of slaves in America? Am I Am I required to encourage my congressman or senator to pass a bill that would pay reparations to descendants of slavery? The question that we have to ask is this, what would the Lord require me to do? This is a question in the minds of the followers of Yahweh in the time of Micah. And we find Micah here among the prophets, among the minor prophets in Scripture, He prophesied around the same time as Isaiah in the 8th century B.C. And in my study this week of Micah and reading more about the time in which he wrote, I've learned that 
Micah wrote in a day that is not much different than the times we live in today. The nation of Israel was in deep trouble with God. God's chosen people had fallen to terrible moral depths. We are jumping right into the middle of this book here. So let me at least briefly give you a little bit of background and structure of this book. In Micah verse, uh, chapters 1 and 2, we see the announcement of judgment on Israel and Judah. In chapters 3 to 5, we see the present injustice and future prospect of just rule in Jerusalem. Those famous words in, in Micah 5 telling us about the birth of Jesus that would happen in, Be- in Bethlehem. And then in Micah 6 to 7, we see the Lord's indictment and the restoration of his people. So here in chapter 6, this section on the Lord's indictment and restoration of his people, we see in verses 1 and 2 the prophetic summons. In verses 3 through 5, we see divine interrogation and the reminder of the saving acts of the Lord. And then in verses 6 to 8, we see the people's response and prophetic reply. So look again at verses 3 through 5 as we see the divine address of the Lord to the nation of Israel. He says, my people, what have I done to you and how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, in order that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. And then in verses 6 to 8, we see the direct response to this divine address from the Lord himself. We see some questions here in verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Israel is asking here in verses six to seven, what are we to do? And as a Jew living in Israel or Judah, and as a follower of Yahweh, what am I to do? What would the Lord have me to do? And the answer for us is found here in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three simple action steps. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. This is the question we all must be asking. What would the Lord have me to do? What would the Lord require of me? The Lord, Almighty God, Yahweh, what would he have me to do? Because I will one day stand before him. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for them, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You will stand before Christ. I will stand before Christ. I will give an answer to him. 
not Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook or Jack Dorsey of Twitter, not to my Facebook friends or my Twitter and my Instagram followers. Add everything else you want to add in there, Snapchat, TikTok, I don't know them all. Not a protest organizer and not the angry mob. I will stand before Jesus Christ all by myself, and so will you. I will give an answer to him. I will give an account to him and to him alone. So with the time that he has given me on this earth, with the amount of time he has given me that is left on this earth, what would the Lord have me to do? What would the Lord require of me? Not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. These three things are all actions that are motivated by the gospel. These are some of the good works that we read about in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared in advance for me and you to do and to walk in. These works do not save me, but instead they, instead they serve the one who has saved me. They are my offerings unto him. This is my act of worship unto him as we read about in Romans 12. And if you are listening or watching this morning, soon to be afternoon, and you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, do not begin to do these things that we see in verse eight in order to be saved because your good works will never save you. There is no amount of good that you could ever do to please a holy and righteous and perfect God. In fact, all of your good deeds are like filthy rags to the Lord, Isaiah 64, 6. You and I are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so if you are trying to work your way to heaven, if you are trying to do good works to get eternal life, if you are hoping that one day your, your good works will outweigh your bad ones, just stop and repent or turn from your sins today and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross in the place of sinners, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might have everlasting life. So let's look at the three of these in detail together today. I want, to, I want you to see three requirements of a holy God to those who have embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three requirements from a holy God to those who have embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as there are three primary colors, I had to think about this the other day, red, yellow, and blue. We see here that there are three primary forms of love justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So number one, God tells us, do justice. Do justice. I grew up on the King James Version early in life, and I remember this verse, do justly. John Calvin defines this as to observe what is equitable towards men. That's what it means to do justice, to observe what is equitable towards men. To observe what is equitable towards men and then to do it, to act and to respond. I mentioned earlier that Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah and we read these words in Isaiah chapter 42, verse one. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him 
he will bring forth justice to the nations. You probably recognize these words. You've heard them before. If not from the prophet Isaiah, perhaps from the gospel of Matthew, as they are repeated there in Matthew 12, verses 9 through 14, we read that Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Here we see Jesus acting justly. He observed what was equitable toward this man with a withered hand, and he responded. He acted, and he healed, even on the Sabbath. And this is what we read next in Matthew 12, verses 15 through 18. Jesus, aware of this, that the Pharisees were conspiring against him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Jesus proclaimed justice to the Gentiles. Jesus executed justice to the Gentiles. You and I who are saved, who are in Christ, we have the power of the resurrected Christ living in us, and we are called to go and do justice. The Lord calls us to observe what is equitable towards men, to observe what that would be, and to act, to respond. That means we must take our eyes off of ourselves. As Paul tells the Philippians, that requires us in humility to count others more significant than ourselves. It requires us to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our servant, our model and example, And we are to have the eyes of Jesus and observe and look as to how we can help others, how we can do good to others, how we can do justice to others. Proverbs 28 verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Wow, that's an amazing verse. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. We who are in Christ, we are no longer evil men and women. We are not like the world. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been covered by the righteousness of Christ through faith alone. We are to seek the Lord and his face, and then we will understand all things. We will know what we are to do. Earlier, I read from Romans 12, and in verses 9 to 21, we see that long list of commands 
things that we are called to do after we have believed in Jesus Christ, after we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, after we have understood that there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ, after we have been reminded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are called to give preference to one another in honor. We are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If you are like me, after you saw what happened to Ahmaud Arbery and then to George Floyd, you probably asked the question, what can I do? I asked that question for four or five days to the Lord. I felt somewhat hopeless. I knew that there was nothing I could do for these police officers. I couldn't go arrest them or have them arrested. I knew that I could not try them in a court of law. And the Lord did not speak to me audibly, but I do believe that the Lord gives wisdom when we ask of it. We learned that in James chapter one. And so I took time to pray. And I knew that I would have nine hours in the car last Saturday as, as I drove from Maryland back to Indiana to see my wife and three boys and eventually bring them back here to Maryland. And so I thought, I'm going to take that time to call some of my black brothers, my brothers in Christ, and just ask them how they're doing. I made several calls to those dear friends of mine. It really made the trip go a lot quicker. I told them that I loved them. I did not apologize for being a white man, but I did tell them that I was sorry for yet another injustice toward black people in America. And I had some amazing conversations. Note if you're watching today and you know me and you're a black man and you're wondering why I didn't call you or text you, just be patient. Um, You may still be on my list of those I need to call. And one of my calls was to Sean Time Warp Morning. And so let me just say that that conversation took up a lot of drive time. But one of the calls that I made was to one of my professors from the Master Seminary, a godly man, a man who is now in his mid-60s, a man that I love and respect so much, a man who I feared when I took him for beginning Greek. He has walked with the Lord for many, many years. He has been a pastor of a local church. He's a seminary professor. He is the president of a Bible training school in the heart of Los Angeles, and he is a godly husband and the father of two amazing children. And when I talked to him on Tuesday morning and I asked him how he was doing, and I told him that I was sorry for yet another injustice that people of color were now, fa- were now facing here in America, he told me that I was the first white brother that had reached out to him and I could hear the pain in his voice, this mature godly man. I made several calls like this. I asked my friends what I could do. I told them that I wanted to listen and to learn, to be available to them, to grieve with them, to mourn with them, and to bear their burdens with them. Have you thought about how you could share in your brother's burden, your sister's burden at this time, and not be indifferent toward their pain? I think the pain is real. 
as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not required to go and protest, but you are commanded to love your brother. You are not required to move to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and hope to be selected to serve on the jury for the trial of one of those four police officers, but you are commanded to pray for others. And you can pray that justice will be done. You are not even commanded to vote, but you are commanded to share in your brother's burden. John Calvin says, nor is it a matter of wonder that the prophet begins with the duties of love for though in order the worship of God precedes these duties and ought rightly to be so regarded, yet justice, which is to be exercised, exercised towards men, is the real evidence of true religion. James, the brother of Jesus, would say this in his epistle in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My friend and my former seminary professor that I called and talked to on Tuesday reminded me that often in the theological circles in which we run, conservative Christianity, we are really good at doing the latter, preaching on holiness, exhorting people to keep themselves unstained by the world. But we often forget the former to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to act justly and to do justice. The very, the first thing that is required of you and me and every believer in Jesus Christ is to do justice. And friends, this is for our good and this is for the glory of Almighty God. Number two, we see here that we are commanded to love kindness to love kindness. Some translations say mercy, very interchangeable words here. Could also be translated steadfast love. I even saw one translation, the word loyalty. These are actions and these are actions of love. And they require us to be in a relationship with other people. If you decided to, that you're really enjoying this quarantine and you decided, I'm going to extend this quarantine for the rest of my life on earth, and you go live in the hills by yourself and never come down and never interact with others, and then you died 30 years later, no one at your funeral would be saying, what a kind and merciful man. Because we exercise kindness to other people. We demonstrate mercy to others. Don't you love to be around people who are kind? Don't you love to be around believers who have the gift of mercy? I have never said to anyone, hey, could you stop being so kind to me? Just back off a little bit. Or could you lay off the mercy? You're, you're bringing it pretty thick. I don't need any more. No, we, we love to be treated with kindness and with respect. We love to be on the receiving end of mercy. We know from our Bible that Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. If you weren't aware of that, in Galatians 5, to 23, Paul lists those nine fruits of the Spirit, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. 
kindness is an evidence that I have been born again, that I am in Christ, that I have the spirit of God living inside of me. We are the recipients of the kindness of Almighty God. The Apostle Paul has some strong words for his readers in Rome that we find in Romans chapter two, verses one to four, where he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Friends, you and I who are in Christ, we have experienced the kindness of God. That although God is holy and perfect, that he is in need of nothing and we were sinful and we trespassed his holy law, we rebelled against him. Despite that, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect life in our place and to die a sacrificial and atoning death for our sins. And he was raised on the third day that we might be forgiven and that we might have everlasting life. He has given us his Holy Spirit and one of the evidences of that spirit is the kindness that we demonstrate to others. I don't know if you like to drink Snapple. This used to be a, a favorite drink of mine. Uh, I used to get it a lot on road trips for some reason. Peach iced tea, man, that would get me about two more hours down the road. And I used to like, used to love the sound of that cap when you twist it, it makes a little pop sound. And then looking at the cap, because on a Snapple cap, there's always some, a fun fact. I remember some of these. Ask me why. Don't ask me why. A crocodile cannot move his tongue. That's really unfortunate. Still pretty powerful. Only male fireflies can fly. But I remember, and I don't think they do this anymore, but there was a time when I would open that cap and there would be no fun facts, but just some little tidbits of wisdom. I remember getting one one time and it said, call your mother. <laughs> I was like, okay, who sent this drink, you know? Or be kind, be kind. Beloved, love kindness and love mercy. Mercy means that I do not get what I deserve. You and I both deserve an eternity in hell. I deserve to face the wrath and the just anger of a holy God for all eternity. For I am a sinner. I have missed the mark. I have fallen short of the glory of God. But God, thankfully, does not give me what I deserve. Instead, he showers me with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, and his kindness. How can I not show that mercy to others? In Matthew 5, 7, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, these some of the first public words of Jesus, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we have been shown mercy, we will, when we understand the mercy that we have received from God, we will show that mercy to others. One of my favorite people in the New Testament is Matthew. We have a son named Matthew. 
Uh, I don't know if any of you have have watched this little mini-series. You have to download the app. It's called The Chosen, and it's about the life of Christ and his disciples. Uh, they've released season one. You can watch it for free. And uh, I watched that with my boys, and really, really well done. And uh, there's a definite uh, emphasis on Matthew and that character, some artistic license there, but I think it's really well done. Matthew, as you know, or Levi was a tax collector. He was the worst kind of tax collector, one who became wealthy at the expense of his own people, the Jews. We read about him in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 5, 27 to 29. After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting in the booth, in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. I love this. Matthew was a sinner. He had trespassed God's law. He had sinned against and betrayed his own people. But Jesus comes and shows him mercy. He gives to Matthew what he did not deserve. He forgives him of his sin and he gives him eternal life. And the first thing that we see Matthew doing here in the Gospel of Luke, his immediate response to this act of mercy from Jesus was to throw a party, to have his friends over, his former co-workers and partners in crime, so that they too could meet Jesus and so that perhaps they too might become followers of Christ. Friends, those who have been shown mercy show mercy. Those who are the recipients of the kindness of God show kindness to others. Are you known for your kindness? Are you seen as a minister of mercy? You may say, Pastor Kirby, I don't have the gift of mercy. And I got that. I'm with you. I understand that completely. I can relate to that. Showing mercy to others is something I have to work very hard at. But this is what we are called to do, to be kind, to be merciful, to be loyal, to be steadfast in our love toward others. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Do justice, love kindness, love mercy. Number three, Walk humbly. Walk humbly. Here in Micah 6, 8, we read, walk humbly with your God. Does this sound familiar? Like what we read in the law of God in the book of Deuteronomy? In Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13, we see this. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Here we learn a simple phrase, walk humbly with your God. This is the expressed response of his people to his redemptive acts. We see the exact opposite of this in Matthew 23, where Jesus says, 
in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Look again at verses six and seven here in Micah chapter six. This is the question of the people in the days of Micah, and it is the question of us as people today. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the Lord or before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? We see the answer to this question in verse 8 and in other places like 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. The Lord wants us to obey. The Lord desires that we walk with him in humility, remembering that apart from him, I can do nothing, remembering that without him, I am nothing. I love Paul's exhortation to Timothy in his first letter to this young pastor at the church in Ephesus, an exhortation that we must that we must all be familiar with today, a command that we are called to obey today and every day. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are, are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Here, I think we often focus on the first part of these two verses. Yeah, we need to be praying for our president, for our leaders, to those who are making decisions in our country. And we forget about the second part, to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's very convicting, especially for someone in ministry, to lead a peaceful and quiet life to be godly and dignified in every way and convicting, I'm saying, about for myself. I'd just like to give a word to everyone, but especially to young people and to those who are on social media. There are so many people that are on there. Perhaps this is true of you. Perhaps it has been true of you in the past. So many people are trying to make a name for themselves. Look at me. Did you see my tweet? Did you see my latest post? Did you see how I shredded that guy with my words? Friends, let's stop trying to make a name for ourselves and let's make much of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer and friend, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin and has written our names in the Lamb's book of life. For the past 12 weeks, we've been having our Navy FCA virtual huddle meetings, 12 weeks of Zoom calls. We ended, our, we ended that last Tuesday, praise God. We've had some really great guest speakers. And um, as I would talk to them before they would join our call, they would all ask me, 
hey, what do you want me to talk about? And I would say, well, you know, talk about your playing career, your coaching career, but just make much of Jesus. That's what I want. And that's what we need. And may that be true of us in all that we do. Lord, keep us humble. Let us walk with you. Let us have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When others see me, I don't want them to say, look at Kirby Myers, he's a great guy. Just ask him, he'll tell you. No, I want them to say, look at Kirby Myers, he is a man of humility, he is a man who walks with God, just watch him. Back to John Calvin, his commentary on Micah 6.8, so rich. He says, but his manner of speaking when he says that men ought to be humble, that they may walk with their God is worthy of special notice. Condemned then is here all pride and also all the confidence of the flesh. For whosoever arrogates to himself even the least thing does in a manner contend with God as with an opposing party. The true way then of walking with God is when we thoroughly humble ourselves, yea, when we bring ourselves down to nothing. For it is the very beginning of worshiping and glorifying God when men entertain humble and low opinion of themselves. One more scripture to leave you with. Deuteronomy 10, verses 16 through 18. The Lord says, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of hosts, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Friends, what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of me? What does the Lord require of you? The Lord here tells you how to approach him and what he requires. Will you live accordingly? Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for such a great text of scripture. Thank you for the prophet Micah. Thank you for his wisdom that you blessed him with. Thank you for the writing that we have in our Bible that we can learn from. Lord, a man who lived during the time of Isaiah, eight centuries, in the eighth century, Lord, 700 years or so before the coming of Christ. And thank you for these words that we read in Micah 6, 8. This reminder that you have told us what is good and what the Lord requires of us, and that is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Lord, we know that 
We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do it apart from a saving relationship, from a relationship with a holy God through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we are nothing. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to cause us to desire and to carry these things out. I pray that we would be men and women who look for opportunities to do justice, that we would look for opportunities to express mercy and kindness toward our neighbor, to those who are hurting, and that, Lord, we would be content with a quiet and humble life, that we would humbly walk with you, our Savior and our God. How good it is to be able to say, you are our God. Lord, we were once far away from you. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were by nature children of wrath. We were subject to Satan and his evil rule, and there was nothing we could do to change our dreadful condition. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive Through Jesus Christ, by grace, we have been saved. Your grace truly is amazing, marvelous, matchless, and infinite. And for that, we praise you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening today that has never bowed the knee, that has never bowed their heart in submission to King Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. May they know that they are not promised tomorrow. Today is the day. Today is the, ter- the, the day to turn from sin and to turn to Christ through faith alone, to be forgiven of sin and to have everlasting life. Lord, I pray that you would be merciful as you have been merciful to us, that you would grant them repentance from their sin and faith to believe in your son, that they might have everlasting life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.